Well, when we're choosing, when I'm choosing songs, I usually pick them based on the theme and content, not necessarily uh, how easy they are to sing. So, uh, and usually the casualty along the way in that is the song leader. So, thank you, Jared, for uh, working through that and leading us in that. And I'll just warn you a little anticipation. The song at the end of the service, I think, is a pretty unfamiliar song as well, but it's a text that's literally taken from 2 Corinthians, so I thought it was a perfect song. So we'll, uh, we'll work through that one as well. But uh, thankfully, uh, God's pleasure with our singing is, is really not primarily focused upon the quality of it, but our hearts and how we lift up our hearts in praise and thankfulness to Him. So. Um, and speaking of that, before we look at our text this morning, let's go ahead and communicate with God because we need his help to understand it and apply it and respond to it correctly. So let's ask him about that now. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege to sing. We thank you for songs that communicate truth and uh, remind us of your goodness, your faithfulness. And we have a passage today, Father, that is... Uh, powerful and encouraging, and yet in some ways uh, sobering, uh, because it reminds us that life isn't, for the Christian, going to be all wonderful and easy. There's going to be hardship and trials, and help us to respond to that the right way, uh, that we, like Paul mentions here, would turn to you and learn to trust in you instead of ourselves. And help us as we go through this, Father, to understand it properly apply it to our lives properly and, and have hearts in submission to you that we would respond correctly to it. And we pray that you would honor and exalt yourself and your word this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we look at the text, um, I just wanted to uh, give you a picture here to uh, talk about the subject of fire. Um, We've had in recent years uh, wildfires and things like that have taken place in the West and been very difficult to put out and uh, lots of lost property and damage and sometimes lives. Um, but it's common for us to understand that fire is dangerous. And if we uh, touch fire or are in the midst of fire, the result is going to be painful and destructive and possibly even result in death. And while this is true in the physical world, we also understand in the spiritual world, speaking figuratively, God puts us as his children through fires. In our uh, family devotions not long ago, we were talking about Daniel, and we we're talking about Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Abednego, and um, Meshach. Yes, uh, you know the story. So these three men were confronted with the challenge of uh, not bowing to the king's idol. Uh, they, they refused, and it's a remarkable uh, stand of courage. And uh, the threat is from the king, and this is the king of the most powerful empire in, in the entire world at that time. And he's saying, if you don't bow down and worship at this statue, then we're going to throw you into the fire. And their answer is absolutely remarkable, their courage. They say, I mean, because one of the things the king says is, 
what God is able to deliver you from this fire? And their answer is amazing. They say, our God, O king, is able to deliver us from this fire. But then they go on and they say, but if he does not, they recognized in that choice that they were making to stand for God and refuse to bow, he might not choose to deliver them from that fire, even though he was capable. He's, but they say, even if he does not deliver us, we will still not bow down to your idol. And the king, as you can imagine, is enraged, and he heats up the fire seven times hotter than normal, and it's so hot that those that heated up the fire, those that were going to uh, throw them in, actually get burned up themselves in the process. And we, we know that those three men are preserved, and it tells us as they come out of the fire that not even the hair of their head is singed, and they don't even smell like fire. It's a remarkable story of God's preservation of his people through an incredible ordeal. God preserved them through the fire, literally through the fire in that case. But as children of God in this day and age, God puts us through the fires spiritually, so to speak. He brings heat and difficulty and trials and hardship and affliction in our lives, and yet... We see how he delivers us and he uses that stuff to change us and bring growth in our lives and, and, and helps us to find joy and comfort in the midst of those things. So as a Christian, we look at the fires of affliction and hardship differently than a physical fire uh, to simply be avoided. We recognize there's good in it that God brings. So let's read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll read verses 3 to 7 to get started. It says there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer." And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. So I want you to see this morning as we look at 1 Corinthians, Lord willing, we'll get uh, down to 8 through 11 as well. But uh, we're going to see here this morning that we should be thankful both in and outside of affliction. In verses 3 through 7, Paul talks about the affliction that he and his co-workers have gone through, and he's directing praise to God through that and, and, and for that and God's uh, ministry to them in those things. But then in verses 8 through 11, he's going to talk about how he and his co-workers were delivered from affliction and give thanks for that as well. And I think it's a great 
passage to challenge us to be thankful, to give God thanks and praise, both in the midst of our suffering and afflictions and hardships, as well as when he delivers us from it, not only when he delivers us from it. So um, you may be thinking, I thought we finished the book of James already, right? Didn't we cover all these trials and hardships already and get past that? Well, um, it's obviously a major theme of the scriptures, and we encounter it here again. We should be thankful because God gives comfort in the midst of our affliction. So we're going to see that in verses 3 through 7. And we're going to see, first of all, the source of our comfort. The source of our comfort is obviously God himself. And uh, Paul starts here in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all affliction. He says here that God is the source of our comfort. He is directing praise and blessing to God here. He said, blessed be the God. This is similar to other letters he's written. I think Ephesians is one example where he says, blessed be God or praise to God. He's using a similar kind of formula here that he does in those other passages. He is directing his praise, his honor, his thanksgiving to God. And then he goes on and he uses some really interesting and helpful description of God to describe what God is like. He talks about God as the Father, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God is described here is as uh, not only God, but also the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he doesn't specifically identify at this point the Holy Spirit, he is clearly talking about God as Father, Son, and Spirit. And he is speaking of God the Father in particular here, giving praise to him who is the source of our comfort. But he also speaks, therefore, of the relationship between Father and Son uh, in the Godhead. We are worshiping the one true God, and yet we understand from the scriptures that he is Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons in one God. We are monotheists. We have one God, and yet we recognize He is Father, Son, and Spirit. And we see throughout the Scriptures, that, uh, in the New Testament specifically, that uh, they are addressed individually. There is uh, passages of Scriptures that talk about the Holy Spirit and, and, and His personality, that He is uh, a person, and we, we, we know the Son is a person and the Father is a person. Three, three persons in one God. So Paul is talking about God and giving him praise, but he also then goes on to describe some characteristics of what God is like, and he is ultimately saying God is compassionate and comforting. God is compassionate and comforting. Notice he is called here the Father of mercies, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He is the uh, Father of mercies. So the idea here of Father of mercies, mercy is a word I think that sometimes isn't uh, always well understood, but the idea is that he is compassionate, he has pity, he knows our weakness, and he helps us. Yes, there is a, a sense in times in which he withholds things 
that uh, we deserve, but it is also often used to speak of God being compassionate, knowing our weakness and our frame. And I think that's appropriate here in light of what Paul's talking about with afflictions. God knows the hardship and difficulties that we go through, and he takes pity on that. He doesn't lead us into hardship and difficulty without sincerely caring for us in the process or just being a cold, mean God who puts us through hardship and says, just, uh, just grow up, right? Like a, like a callous dad or granddad might do. That's not what God is like. God is compassionate. He is merciful. And everything he allows to come in our lives has a purpose. And as Father, he is the originator or the source of this mercy and compassion. And it also drives emphasis right to where Paul is going with this passage, which is, he is the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. It's interesting, this word comfort, if you have ever heard the Greek explained about this word, it's actually based on the same word as um, Christ speaks about in John, speaking of the Holy Spirit. It is paraclete. And is the idea when Jesus is talking in, in the book of John about the Holy Spirit, he says, another comforter is going to come. And speaking of the ministry of the Spirit and the life of the apostles after he is crucified and resurrected and goes to be with the Father, he speaks of the Holy Spirit being one who would come alongside and be a comforter. God is the God of all comfort. He gives consolation. He gives solace. He gives refreshment. He gives encouragement. And in saying here that God is the God of all comfort, I think we need to draw some important conclusions from that. Number one, God has all kinds of comfort available to give. He is the one that has the ability and capacity to provide whatever comfort it is with whatever we're going through. There is no situation, no circumstance that he is not able to be a comfort and help to his children. He is the God of all comfort. I think we should also understand very importantly that he is the God who is the sole source of ultimate and full comfort. He is the sole source. Now, as an illustration, I, I think many of you know, I work at the University of Michigan, and the University of Michigan is a public institution. And one of the responsibilities of a public institution is to make sure they're being financially responsible. So one of the things they do as a financially responsible public institution is they have a process for putting out bids. When you're going to get goods and services, you, you put out bids. And what, what's the reasoning for that? It's actually pretty simple. The reasoning for that is you're trying to get a good deal. You want to make sure you're not getting cheated and you're being financially responsible. So you're putting out bids. You get lots of different people that bid on stuff, and, and ultimately you take the best deal. It doesn't mean you have to pick the absolute lowest price. You're looking for the best deal overall. So the normal process when you're buying things over a certain dollar amount, it's usually around five or 10,000, I think, but um, you have to go through a process of putting out bids. You put out an RFP or something like that, a request for proposal, and you go through this process, you get all these bids. 
so that you will be a fair and equitable and financially responsible institution. Well, sometimes what happens is you need a good or a service that isn't available from multiple people. So they have a special process which they call sole source. And what that means is there's only one place you can get this thing that you need. So instead of putting out a bunch of bids to get people to, to uh, put competitive pricing out there for you, you have to go through a justification process to say, this is where I need to get it because it's the sole source. It's the only place we can get this. So we just need to cut right to it and buy it instead of going through this process. Well, in the same way, God himself is the sole source, ultimately, for comfort. He is really the only one who can give us the comfort and satisfaction, encouragement that we need in the trials and hardship that we face. Now, we try to go around him, don't we? We try to find comfort in other things, don't we? We, we may look to other things to find our comfort, but ultimately, He is the sole source for true and lasting comfort. And he, we're also told here in verse 4, look at verse uh, 4 as the start, it's continuing this idea, it says, God is the one who comforts us in all our affliction. And this tells us when, when do we have comfort? At all times. The situation here is a situation in affliction. Paul is talking about the affliction that he's going through. The idea of affliction is tribulation or hardship, difficulty, trouble. It's actually a related word to what's used for when it talks about the tribulation at the end times. The same, same word, um, idea that's being used here of affliction. It's trouble. It's hardship, it's difficulty, and God gives comfort in the midst of this. It's not just that we're comforted when we get out of it. He actually gives comfort inside of it. And we need to recognize his ability is complete and thorough. There is comfort available all the time for every affliction. There is no affliction through which he cannot comfort us. So we should therefore praise and thank God for his comfort, shouldn't we? He alone can truly comfort us. And we should also stop looking for comfort in the things of this world, shouldn't we? Don't we go to other things for our comfort? Am I the only one? Am I the only one that sometimes I'm down, I'm discouraged, and I go to the fridge looking for something good to eat because I'm sad or I'm upset about something? I don't think I'm the only one. I might be one of the worst offenders, but uh, we do that, don't we? Go to things like food. We want something sweet to give us a quick satisfaction to get our minds off of that. Or we turn to our favorite TV show. We don't want to think about stuff that are, that's bad and hard. So we watch a TV show or we watch movies. Things that aren't wrong in and of themselves, but they are poor comforters. They may give us a temporary satisfaction, but ultimately only God 
can satisfy us and comfort our souls like we truly need. He alone can fully meet our need, and we need to go to Him. We need to take it to the Lord in prayer. Even people, people can be used by God to be a comfort to us. But we should start with God. And He may choose to use a godly friend or a godly family member or a spouse, but God alone is able to meet our needs and to fully give us comfort. And therefore, we, like Paul, should praise and thank Him for His comfort. He is the source of comfort. We also are told in verse 4 about the purpose of this comfort that he gives. Verse 4 explains some of the reason why we have this comfort. Paul says, he comforts us in all of our affliction. And then he says, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So the purpose of our comfort is not just for us, though God does meet our need. We have the explanation here. The purpose for our comfort, the why of our comfort, is so that we will be equipped to be a comfort to other people. You may be going through something that nobody knows about, and you experience some hardship, and you're asking the question, why, why, why? Well, one of the reasons might be God's equipping you to be a comfort to somebody else experiencing that same thing or who will experience it down the road and then you can minister to them in a way no one else can because you've experienced a similar hardship. And you can tell them about how God has used His Word to comfort you or how the Spirit comforted you or how going to prayer God encouraged your soul you can be a testimony of how God worked in your life. You're an encouragement to others. And it, notice it also talks about the extent of this equipping in our lives as well. This extent is for all affliction. Notice he says that word again, all. Or in this case, I believe it's translated any. So that with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by, I missed it so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So as we are comforted, we then are able to be a comfort to those around us. We are able to tell how God comforted and encouraged our souls in hard times, and we can be, therefore, an example, ultimately, a testimony of God's encouragement to them, and so we can be that example and that help to him, uh, those people that go through similar things. So let me just give you one example. Um, when I was 30, 34? No, 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 32. I think it was 32. 2004, I was 32. Uh, my wife, who was 29 years old, died. She had an infection in her brain, and she'd been battling medical problems for about four years. Ultimately, she had an infection in her brain, caused it to swell. Um, it pushed down on the, the brain stem, ultimately killing her. She died, 29. Um, now, you might hear that, or, or might have even known that, 
and you may be afraid to ever touch that topic with me. But you know what? God gave me comfort in that situation, and I, and I don't want to spin it in a wrong way. Understand what I'm saying? I love to talk about how God encouraged me through that and how God used me and gave me hope, gave me encouragement, gave me strength through that. I love to be able to minister to other people. Sometimes I'm afraid I freak them out. I, if, if a guy, is, his wife isn't feeling well or, you know, and it looks like it may not work out well, I want to minister to that guy. I want to talk to him. I want to help him. But I realize my wife died, so he might get freaked out if I'm a little aggressive, right? But we had, not long ago, someone in our church who lost his wife. It was a great joy to me to talk to him about the things that I went through and how God worked in my life and the hope for him. Isn't that what God does in our situations and our afflictions? He gives us comfort and it's a joy to share that. That's his purpose. He, he intends for us to minister for him to others who are going through hardship. So instead of fighting and being discouraged and frustrated about what you're going through, recognize God has purpose, not only for you to draw you closer to him, but also for you to help others. Try to look down the road at that purpose in the future, how God might use you. That's what he wants to do. We also see in, in verse 5 the supply of comfort, how much comfort is available. Look at verse 5. It says, For as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. There is abundant supply. So here's the bad news. There's abundant supply of sufferings for believers in Jesus Christ. I don't know how people who claim to believe in Jesus Christ and try to preach a gospel can preach it that if you come to Christ, all of your problems are gone, you're going to be rich and prosperous and have all kinds of prosperity, and your life will be so great. That's not accurate. If you are in Christ, you're going to experience suffering. You're going to have hardship. But here's one of the great things about it. You know what? There's a lot of suffering outside of Christ, too. There's a lot of people in the world that have hardship and difficulty, and, and yet they don't have Jesus Christ to go to. We do. God comforts us. There is abundant supply of suffering that we must recognize, but we also need to recognize there is an equal and matching supply of comfort and therefore a cause for great joy. And I want you to see, unfortunately, we're going to only get, I think, to uh, verse 7. Uh, I don't think we're going to make it to verse 8 and 9, 10. Unless we go real quick, we'll, we'll see. But uh, we also see that there is sharing in this comfort. There is sharing that we have in our comfort our comfort is not just us as we've described. And Paul's going to say in verses 6 and 7 about how his comfort is shared. Look with me at verses 6 through 7. It says, But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patience enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. So the, the logic is perhaps a little bit uh, complicated to follow here, and I just would, for time's sake, cut it a little bit short to say, I believe the point Paul's making is they uh, are 
going to be comforted because of the hardship that he's going through and he's experiencing, and uh, he is therefore going to be comforted, and therefore he is expecting that they also are going to be comforted, and it's going to work towards their salvation. And I think the idea of their salvation here is that of deliverance. The word salvation means to deliver, to be rescued. In, a, in, in the spiritual realm, when we are saved or we have salvation, it means ultimately we're rescued from sin and the punishment of sin. We are rescued from the punishment we deserve for our sin, which is hell, a lake of fire, eternal punishment. When we come to Christ, we're forgiven of our sins, our sins are forgiven, and we have eternal life. We're rescued from the outcome of what we deserve. Paul here is talking about this deliverance from affliction and how it is ultimately going to result in endurance in their lives. Notice he says, it works for the effective, it is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. So he talks about an expectation of them enduring. Um, and I, he ties together these three ideas, which I think are really important to understand, that of affliction and suffering. So in, in the Christian life, we're going to experience affliction and suffering. And through that, when we experience those things as believers, God gives us comfort. And the result of us getting that comfort is not only that we'll be able to encourage others, but it's also that it produces endurance in us. When we are comforted, it encourages us to continue to go to God, to continue to trust in Him, and not to turn away or be overwhelmed in discouragement. So I believe that's the idea. It, it's connected to our perseverance. And, and then I guess you could say ultimately our final salvation as well, because we're told, as we saw in the book of James, that it is not just someone who confesses the name of Jesus Christ that ultimately is saved. It is someone who has an enduring belief and trust in Jesus Christ. And that enduring belief is demonstrated by a life that is lived for Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean there's no sin or no struggles or no failures. But it means an ongoing, continuing faith that ultimately perseveres. So Paul is convinced of this about the Corinthians. They are going to continue because they are going to be sharers in his suffering and also the comfort, and that's going to be the result. So, um, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds just like James. The theme of suffering, the testing resulting in endurance. James 1.3 tells us about that. Even though different author, obviously it's ultimately the same author, isn't it? It's God. God is the one who gives us comfort in our suffering. So let, I think we can do it real quick. I know it's a little long, but I think it'll be real quick. These last three or four verses are actually very quick and kind of hard to make their own message. So let's just look at 8 through 11 real quick. So we saw how Paul is encouraging us to be thankful inside of affliction he also then is going to give an example of how he was delivered from affliction and therefore gives thanks for that as well. So let's read 8 through 11. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. 
Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. Yet you also join in, in helping us through your prayers so that the thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. So Paul here talks about his affliction and how he was delivered. And I think we see these five things. I'll just put them up there. This is essentially the end. Going through that real quick. He talks about his experience of affliction. He talks about how they were afflicted in Asia. And, and this was an extreme affliction. It was such that they were worried about their lives. They were convinced that they were going to die. Uh, he, was, he was convinced that death was inescapable. So it's an extreme case of affliction here, and yet Paul says the result of that was that they were delivered from, in verse 10, he tells us who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. So he talks about how he was able to escape from affliction, in this case, ultimately death that he was worried about, and his expectation is that God is going to continue to deliver them in the future, and that in verse 11, this results in expression of thanksgiving um, and how prayers were answered on their behalf and they escape, because they've escaped this affliction. But I want to drive you back real quick to verse 9 and see one important result of this affliction and what had happened in their lives. He says, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. See, one of the purposes of affliction is to drive us to not trust in ourselves, our own ability, our own circumstances, but ultimately to trust in God. And the result in the end, he's delivered, him and his co-workers are delivered, and they give thanks to God, and they say many people give thanks to God because of this answered prayer. So we see in conclusion... God is our Savior. He is our Deliverer. As we talked about, He is eventually going to deliver us from all the problems of sin, even eventually removing us from the presence of sin in glorification and the eternal state that's coming. But in this present world, we're going to have trouble, we're going to have affliction, and he is, in some cases, going to deliver us out of it. And we should thank him and praise him for that. And nothing wrong with praying to be delivered out of it. But Paul also makes it very clear, we also can thank him inside the affliction and hardship and trouble and difficulty as well. Why? Because God comforts us. God comforts us. And therefore, through that comfort that he gives us, he gives us the grace and the strength to endure and remain faithful to him in the midst of suffering. Have you ever experienced that before when you went through a really difficult and hard thing and someone who doesn't know Christ, they look at your life and they say, how is it that you can still trust God with what you're going through? God uses those things to be a testimony to others, but he also uses it to give us opportunity to share that comfort with other people so that we can be an example and encouragement to others because he's equipping us to comfort others. So, we need to thank God 
in the midst of our afflictions and hardships and troubles, as well as thanking him when he's delivered us out of them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this encouraging text. We thank you for the truth revealed here about how you work in trials and difficulties, and it is very reassuring to know that all trials and difficulties and hardships as believers in Jesus Christ are with a purpose behind them. Father, you know that we like when life is easy. We enjoy rest. We enjoy peace and comfort when uh, just uh, that things are going so well. We, we like that. But yet it's, we recognize not reality very often. Help us, Father, to turn to you, not trust in ourselves, our own circumstances, but help us to turn to you and find the comfort from you because this world doesn't satisfy, this world doesn't comfort us, and ultimately this world's going to be destroyed. Help us, Father, to look to you for our comfort and strength, and help us, Father, to have the grace to both praise you inside as well as outside of our affliction and hardship. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.